Hallelujah. We appreciate Brother Goff so very much. Amen. And all that uh, he and his family do, appreciate them. I want you to come tonight. I want you just to obey the Holy Ghost and preach to me tonight. I'm hungry to hear the voice of God. God bless you tonight. Praise God. Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. Such a good feeling in the house of God tonight. A Sunday evening service and God's presence is here and he's made his self evident not just because there was an emotion but God has confirmed his word and given us something to worship him about and he is so so very good to us amen amen thank you Bishop for your confidence and letting me fill the pulpit this sacred desk I so appreciate the opportunity and uh, I thank God for what he's going to do tonight in each and every one of our hearts. Amen. I do feel um, more of a direction towards some of the young folks. But that could also be interpreted as some of those young. Brother Nelson, that is not you. <laughs> Maybe those that are young in their walk with God. Amen. I hope that somebody can get some help tonight. And what I need from some of those who've been around a while, Brother Nelson, to help preach me on, because if I get out of it, I need you to let me know it's not right. I need you to back me up, but I want a, the Word of God to help somebody today. Help somebody. I believe it's messages like that you heard this morning, and what God has laid on my heart for tonight, that pass it on to another generation, that keeps this going. This apostolic momentum. We can do nothing but win. Because our Savior has never lost. You have to get it inside of your head. If, I've, if I'm probably the fourth or fifth person to say it tonight, God is the answer. Amen, amen. If you would, turn with me in your Bible to Micah chapter 7. I'm going to read two verses of Scripture in Micah chapter 7. And it's such a pleasure to see everyone here tonight. Amen. Looking forward to everyone coming back to the house of God. And looking forward even more to the babies that's going to come out of the classes that Pastor Brother Hilton's going to be teaching and everything going on here at church. We're not just busy saints. We're about our Father's business. Don't confuse announcements of just being busy. We're doing kingdom work around here. We're preparing a house and making it ready. We're not just filling an agenda. We're not just taking up Friday nights. We're getting things ready for what is promised to come to pass. And everything that's been laid out before us. Amen. In Micah chapter 7 and verse 7, it says, Therefore I will look unto the Lord, and I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Amen. If we can lay our Bibles down, asking God to touch us, each and every one of us in our hearts and our minds, asking for his anointing. We love you, Jesus. We thank you, God. We need you today. God, I need you, Master. I need you to touch these lips of clay. God, this heart of mine. Let it follow after you. I need 
need you, God. I need your anointing, God. Hallelujah. Not because of the audience, God, but because of the importance of your people. They need your word tonight, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, amen. Let's magnify him and thank him for what he is to us. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I magnify you, Master. How great you are. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, amen. You may be seated. I love the people of God. Amen. The message that God has laid on my heart, it may not make sense when I give my title, but hopefully it all comes together. God has given me a word, and if anything, it reaches my soul. We have been hearing a lot about phrases, hashtags of not all heroes wear capes. And that may be true of speaking of those who have placed themselves in harm's way to care or provide for others. But in the kingdom of God, there is only one. And that one is Jesus Christ. There is only one Savior. There are many gods that people uh, worship and serve, no matter what their name is or what they are made of. But there is only one Savior. And he wore a cross. There are no other saviors, no other gods, no other things that people can worship and dedicate their life to that have worn a cross and went to a grave and rose again to redeem his people from their sins. God knows all things. And to imply that God is reactionary to our plight states that God was not aware of your situation. And we know that this is not true. We know that God knows exactly what you're going through. And the reason that God can pick you up when you fall is because he knows about your problem before you do. He has planned your escape before you are even aware of the problem. And tonight, the message that I want to deliver from my heart is God catches me before I fall. God catches me before I fall. I fall. In our text today, we see the prophet Micah lamenting of the decay of religion in the nation, and there is a scarcity of good men, and corruption is running rampant. And as the prophet continues on through chapter 7, he focuses on trusting in God and hopes for restoration after the affliction. And we'll read our text again. It says, Therefore, I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation, and my God will hear me. He makes emphatic, definitive statements. His trust and confidence was in the Lord. And the verse of Scripture that we read in verse 8, we've had it read many times, and most of us can quote it, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy, when I fall, I shall arise. And when I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. When we see the verb, we're talking about the Lord as the light. Our mind goes that he is the light of the world. And in this reference, we can apply the salvation to us. 
The Bible says, and darkness comprehended it not. And we'll first look at Psalms chapter 27 and verse 1. It says, a psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? God is everything that we could ever need or ask or want. You're going to hear me say that time and time again. The reason why I want to stress that fact, it is because my testimony is founded upon that very fact that God knows exactly what I'm going through and knows exactly what I need. And I could dare say that each and every one of us, if you were to take that simple equation from that, as, as Pastor Hilton had talked about, if you take God from it, the equation is broke. The answer is different when you take God from your testimony. So it only makes sense for him to be the first place to go for a resolution. It only makes sense for his name to be the name above every name that we can call upon. Not of somebody else, a website or a friend or a guru or someone who knows the inner workings of a mind so they think. But it's calling upon the name of the Lord. David says the Lord is my light and my salvation. It tells me when I sit in darkness, God will come and reveal to me my path forward. He will catch me. Before I fall. In John chapter 1, we read this in going through doctrinal teaching. We read in verse 5, and it says, And light shineth in darkness, and darkness comprehended it not. And it goes on to talk about John, a man sent from God. It begins to discuss what he was. But we're talking about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, coming he was going to shine in darkness and those around his own people it says and those in his own town and those of his own loved ones did not even accept him for what he really was there was a lot of trust that the messiah was asking of for those people as a messiah to walk in and say i'm the savior of the world and them to say all right i'll believe now young people we it's probably not been too far in your distant memories where you have probably observed or you have seen someone go to a park or play around the house and you will see a parent place a child upon a step and they will step back and they will extend their arms and say, jump. The first time you will see the child start to teeter, and then you begin to, the parent begins to convince them they will be caught. Begins to let trust begin to build, and they'll get closer, and they'll say, all right, I'll put my hands right under your arms. See, now I'll step back a little bit, and they'll jump, and you step back a little bit and jump. It's out of love and compassion that the parent catches your child every time. And it's the trust that the child begins to build knowing that the parent will catch them every time. Now, there are instincts and reflexes of parents that when uh, a child may be sitting on a chair and all of a sudden the parent may whip around and catch them at the last moment. It catches them unaware, but out of the corner of their eye, they catch them. Sometimes they do. And as video evidence says, sometimes they don't. But God is never caught off guard. Right. 
He never quickly spins and pivots and, oh my goodness, and gets us just in time. He is always there waiting. God divinely orchestrates the le- orchestrated the leap for mankind coming from the law to the salvation through Jesus Christ. He was standing there among his people saying, just leap, just jump, just believe. And they stood there holding on to the law saying, it don't add up or no, I can't. It goes against what I've always believed or what I've always been taught. And uh, tradition says I can't. And, And all the while we have a Savior saying, just follow after me and I'll make you fishers of men. Some jumped and a lot didn't. We find the very same thing happening today. So many people are hung up on tradition, are hung up on what may be safe within their life. All the while, God is asking everyone to leap into his arms of love. It was by his love that salvation was made available to everyone. And in this day and age, and the political climate, and the tension between the races, it is available for everyone. We heard about it from Bishop as he talked about the power of Pentecost. He talked about what it would mean for someone to experience Pentecost. Everything sheds away and it becomes just an absolute walk with God. We are asked to trust in him and give everything of ourselves to him. As we read on through Micah, we see through chapter uh, 7 and verse 17, The prophet Micah begins to talk of the enemy eating the dust like a serpent, cursed like the devil himself and fearful, leaving their holes in the earth. The scripture gives the example of rain and the worm afraid of it. They abandon their hole, the place that they have made home, a place that they have said, this is where I will burrow in. And you can look out in your own driveway or sidewalk and You can look out there and you'll see the worm as the sound of rain begins to fall. They get fearful and afraid and afraid of drowning. They all come to the surface. And what we find here in Micah, it talks about the judgment that God was going to place upon the enemy. And it says, and they shall lick the dust like a serpent. And they shall move out of their holes like the worms of the earth. And they shall be afraid of the Lord our God and shall fear Because of thee, God has promised judgment upon your enemy today. And Scripture talks about the judgment of God as raining down. We can find that just the mention of the very name of Jesus, we find the devils begin to tremble in fear in the name of Jesus. Just imagine what happens when God steps up to the rescue and begins to pile on his judgment on your adversary and begins to tell them you're being judged in this very moment. Just imagine what happens to them when God is angry at your adversary. You may think, Brother Golf, I've got this. I've got gray hair. I've been around this long enough. I've got this whipped. I've got it under control. All I have to do is this. This and this. But just wait. There will be a day you will be shaken to your core. You'll be shaken until you understand. You don't understand what's going on around you. 
you begin to question everything that's going on. You begin to say, what is going on in my life? I thought I had it all together. And then you have to reach out and talk to God. Professionals, no matter what the type is, spend years of training. They begin to develop an instinct and safeguards they have built in place to protect their skill so they can repeat it to what they think is perfection, but they still make mistakes. Tightrope walkers still walk the rope with a lanyard because they could make a mistake. People on the trapeze still have a net below them because mistakes can happen. You have people that wear helmets, elbow pads, knee pads, because they can fall off of a bike. Churches have altars because people do fall. They're not training wheels. They're a refuge. They're a place for us to run to. They're not a place for us to be ashamed of. It's not only for the sinner and for the saint to look like, look at me, but it's for all of us, myself included, to walk up to a nasty altar and snot and cry and say, God, forgive me of my sins. Lift me up away from my adversary. Keep me safe within your hands. Guard around my family. Bring us back together again to be able to worship you. That's the place of an altar. But professional people that go to church think that all they have to do is to come in and sit at the pew. They don't understand that the altar is the place of strength. When the preacher gets up and talks about Psalms this and Proverbs that and Matthew this and Acts that, they don't understand that it's the altar that puts power in those words in your life. It's coming and applying them, not saying, good word, preacher, I'll see you next service. We have an altar. We have a church because we as saints of God, we sometimes slip and fall. We need a place to go back to. We need somewhere to come and pour our heart out day or night and for him to reach down and touch us. Nobody is perfect. There is no such thing as a professional apostolic. There's just people that go to church and think they are professional. We have example after example. And when you begin to read through the word of God, you'll find that we live in this thing called life. And it's full of mistakes. And it's upon you to determine what happens to those mistakes. Do you let them overtake you and beat you mentally into a position of, I'm not worthy? Or does it damage your testimony when the words that once entered your mind has now almost become an anthem and you're so discouraged and in a state of depression when you begin to say the words, no one would follow after Jesus if they knew my past. God can take care of each and every one of those things. He's the one that gives the confidence. He's the one. And you can fill in the blank those words that we've heard the devil try to put in your mind and in my mind. And we hear them said deep within our heart in the times when we're troubled, when we don't know which way is up, we begin to hear those words the devil come in and say, you're not worthy. Don't worry about it. You've gone 
too far. This is where I want to stop and talk to the young people for a moment. Young people, you'll look at people that twice your age and think, oh, they've got it all together. And there's people here that can testify and say that's an absolute lie. Myself being one of them. And you'll say, well, they've always been around church. And I can say, I may have always been around church in my life, but I haven't always been in church. The saving grace from Douglas Kaiser Golf has been that I've always tried to make my way back to the house of God. No matter how far I fell, no matter how deep in sin I thought I was, I was never too far from God. Because I said, God, you are my refuge and my strength. In the time of trouble, in the time of need, I I said, I've got to make my way back to him. And I can tell you, young people, you're not going to hear that from anywhere else but the church. Because there's people going to say, yeah, you're right, Brother Jaheim. You're too far gone. Come do what we're doing. They're going to say, oh, you've, you've made your way. You failed. No one likes you. No one loves you, Sister Jasmine. So why don't you come out and do what we're doing? And what they're doing is miserable. What they're doing is failing at life. What they're doing is focusing on small goals that mean absolutely nothing. I got married. I went to college. I had children. I bought a house. I bought a car. And they're just minor goals that people have placed so much more importance on than what they really mean in life. Because the Bible says it's all just going to rust and corrode and fade away. So stop judging your level and amount of success based upon people who have been down the road. Because I can tell you today, it will get you nowhere in life comparing yourself to someone 40 years down the road than yourself. Young people, don't lose sight of the house of God. The reason people walk out from church is because they believe something that's entered their heart and their mind that's convinced them they are not good enough. They feel like they're being judged when they feel conviction. They translate conviction to how others feel about them. They think that if I feel bad about myself, everybody else must feel about me, and thus I am being judged by the church. No, it's the voice of God reaching for you, trying to pull you back to one of these to say, come on back and get back where you need to be. Quit trusting in this world, but find yourself in the presence and the house of God. There is but one constant in your life, and that is the house of God. I am coming up on 20 years at my current job. I'm just, in December will be 20 years I've worked at the current job that I have. But yet, just last week, they said, we're doing a 7% cut across all of our management employees, and we'll let you know on the 22nd whether you have a job or not. I've always thought that I would die working for the railroad. I've always thought that that I have 19 years left of retirement, Brother Jerome. 19 years is what I have left to retire. I always thought I would always be employed for the railroad. 
And people live their life always thinking these things. And then when they're ripped away from them, because somebody gets a virus. And you can drive the streets of our main streets and see places that have yet to open back up. And people are getting unemployment and people without jobs because they trusted in what they always thought would be there. And now families have to spend time with each other. And parents thought they would always stay together until they had to spend two months together. And they realize, I hate my spouse. And children says, I thought my parents would always stay together. I thought I would always have this job. I thought I would always be able to live in this nice big home. But now, I have nothing. But what you do have is the house of God. This building can burn down. This building can be torn down and a new one built on top of it. But we are the church. The Bible is trying to get us all back to the place to where we don't look at the things that we filled our 401ks with. And I'll be honest with you, the moment this all took a downturn, I, I have not even logged in and looked at my 401k one time. You know why? It will do me absolutely no good. It's just going to get in here and mess with here and impact me here. But if I can say, God, you have everything under control. That's all I have to worry about. That's all I have to set my heart on. So young people, all the way from Sunday school, all the way to the teams, and all the way to the college and career, set your sights on him. No matter what goes wrong in your life, if you will put your focus on Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, not of just of our salvation, but of your life, you will have consistency. And you'll have people look at you and say, how in the world do you do it? And you can say, let me tell you who Jesus is. He's more than just a song. He's more than just some little meme. But let me tell you, he changed my life. He gave me a direction that I never had before. Jesus is the answer. He catches me before I fall. In Psalms chapter 13 and verse 4, it says, Lest mine enemies say I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. We find David beginning to pin Psalms in, verse, in chapter 38. And it's a powerful chapter. Because when you begin to look at it, you see where David is recounting the story of his life. He's fighting for his very existence. And the counsel of his friends and his loved ones have forsook him. I'm reading verse 11 and 12 in the ESV. It says, My friends and companions stand aloof at, from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. I'm here to tell you, young people, and there's some saints of God that's been down this road before that can tell you just because you have yourself surrounded with friends, they will not always be there for you. There are people that I once had in my life that I called friends that are no longer friends. They've made decisions that walked away from God and truth. They are now acquaintances to me, friends from the past, people I pray for and reach for. But I don't call them up 
and tell them the deepest, darkest, help me pray about this. I'm going through a trial because I know they can't touch God. You can think, if I could use one of your terms, if I could just have my squad, if I could just have my glam squad with me, if I could just have the people that I think are my closest, we find that Job, his entire squad, left him and judged him harshly. You'll find that David, his squad, undervalued his walk with God and labeled him just as a shepherd boy. We'll find that Joseph, there were so many aspects to his life, but the highlights are his squad sold him into slavery. He was a light about when he was in charge of Potiphar's house, and then his prison squad left him not nearly there to die and forgot all about him after they had been, one had died and the other one had gone out and forgot all about him. And Jonah had a travel squad, and they'd thrown him overboard, as you talked about this morning, Bishop. Moses sent his squad out to spy on the land and found out that only two of them were believers, and the rest were unbelievers. We find that Jesus had a squad of misfits and gave them all a purpose, and they fought and squabbled who was the greatest and tried to keep those that Jesus came to visit away from him. And they lost control of their emotions with a sword and questions his decisions and denied him to his face and sold him out for money. That was Jesus' squad. But Jesus come to say, I can be everything you need and more. You don't need a multiple of people on your shoulder walking through the mall or going to TJ Maxx or going to the coffee shop so you can look hip like everybody else. You need someone that will meet you at the house of God and pray and spend time on their knees and talk to the Heavenly Father and say, let's pray for each other. That's the squad you need. That's the person you need by your side. Not the one that says, let's go do this and spend this and talk about this. But it's the one that says, what do you think about church? What about that message? What about that prayer? prayer meeting what about that song that we learned that's the squad you need to surround yourself with young people those that love God with all your heart not the ones that's walked out of church and you can't wait to walk out the door to go be with them after service is dismissed it's the ones you want to hang around the altar and wrap your arms around and shed salty tears and, and say God touch them bless them keep them they're my friend and I love them young people if you miss this, you miss the message, and you'll find yourself walking out the door just as others have. But if you can cement something down deep in your spirit, if you can let something begin to resonate within your spirit, just as David found people coming against him, he also found the answer. Because in chapter 38 and verse 13, he says, But I am like a deaf man. I do not hear like a mute man who do not, does not open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear and whose mouth for no rebukes but for you O Lord do I wait it is you O Lord my God who will answer when everybody had left him by the wayside David says I will trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean not into my own understanding it was David that says here for I said hear me lest otherwise they should rejoice over me when my foot just slips they rejoice over me they magnify themselves against me for I am ready to fall and my pain is ever before me but there is a God who's ready to catch you before you fall God knows what you're going through. Even when the trial seems unbearable and you're not sure what's going to go from one day to the next, God will keep you. Reminded of a quote of a children's story. 
sure most of you may have either read this or heard this. It's a great story, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And the example, and I may have mentioned this in the past, I believe I have, but the dialogue, when in Narnia, the children meet Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, who describe the mighty lion to them. And Lucy says, is he a man? Aslan, a man? Mr. Beaver sternly replies, certainly not. I tell you, he is a king of the wood, and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of the beast? And, and Aslan, if you haven't heard the story, is talking about Jesus Christ. And it says, Aslan is a, is a lion, the lion, the great lion. And Susan says, oh, okay. I thought he was a man. Is he, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And that you will, dearie, and no mistake, says Mrs. Beaver. If there is anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just silly. And Lucy asks the question. She says, then he isn't safe? And safe, says Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king. I tell you, he's good. God is without fail, completely and utterly good. That does not mean that he always keeps you in comfortable places. God allows life to happen, and he stands waiting for us to trust in him. We find in Psalms chapter 145 and verse 14, and it says, The Lord upholdeth all that fall, and raises up those that be bowed down. The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand, and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh unto them, all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He will also hear their cry and save them. God will catch you before you fall. And you may be sitting here tonight, sitting on a pew, thinking, I'm never going to be good enough to really be used of God. I'm just happy for a place to come and repent and to feel his presence. I'm here to tell you, saint of God, those who are drawing close to him, God has a plan for you. It far exceeds your career path, your home purchase plan, even your relationship desires, even the car you plan to acquire at some point in your life. God has a plan for you that supersedes all of the things you think are important. Because the Lord preserveth all them that love him, but all the wicked will he destroy. We can sit there and we can read the verses of Scripture in Psalms chapter 23. When we know how good God is, I may stand in a place that I don't think is safe, but I know he's going to be there, thus my God is good. Psalms chapter 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. 
He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and my staff comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If you don't get anything from the scripture, you must understand that God is there for you each and every step of the way. No matter if you find yourself on your knees, beat up and bruised and feel like you've failed God in every way and feel like you've left it all behind you and why am I even here? I don't even feel him in my heart. I'm here to tell you, child of God, he's reaching for you tonight to tell you don't fear what the evil one before you because I will overcome them. Do not give up on your walk with God. Psalm 113, he talks about he raises up the poor out of the dust and lifteth the needy out of the dunghill. Them aren't glamorous places. Them are places when people find themselves there. It's easier just to give up, crawl away off the scene and disappear and never have to explain to anyone why you are there to begin with. It's easy is what the devil's going to tell you. Just for you just to give up. You're dirty and you stink. Just walk away. But there's blood. There's blood that washes over each and every one of us. We as believers have a path forward that we must follow. Just like the one that if you were to ever go anywhere in Kansas City, in our metropolitan area, you're going to find yourself on Interstate I-35. For myself, that seems to be we're always going on I-35. And so you must do the same way in the kingdom of God. Isaiah chapter 35. I-35. Remember this. If you're ever struggling, if you're ever in a place where you don't know which way is up or down, just go to I-35. Verse 1, the wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as a rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it. The excellency of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are fearful of, heart, of, of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Even God, with a recompense, he will come and save you. Well, you can just stop right there, and that's good enough. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as in heart, and the tongue of the dung shall sing. And for in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. And the parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. And inhabitations of dragons where each lay shall be grass with reeds and rushes. And an highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness." The unclean shall not pass over it, and it shall be for those 
The wayfaring men, though fools, shall not err therein. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go upon thereon. It shall be not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. And they shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow, sighing shall flee away. Just turn to I-35. There is a refuge, a place that will be called the way of holiness. No impure person shall travel it. The idea is it will flow in the favor of God. Those that come into the kingdom of God, those should be holy on the way of holiness. This phrase that I read through, it may not have stuck in your mind, but we're going to go back and read it. It says, but shall be for those. It's written also. Uh, the scholars think that it possibly should be read, but he himself shall be with them walking in the way. Who's he? Jesus Christ. If you can make your way to I-35, you're going to find Jesus. You're going to find the one who can get you everywhere you need to go. I-35 points to Calvary. Really, in Scripture, it points to Calvary. It's talking about the Messiah. It's telling us there's someone going to come, and he's making a way for us. He's going to make a way of escape. He's laid something out before us. The devil saw what he did to Jesus at, at, at Calvary, and he thought it was a victory. And he even seen the surrender of Jesus to become a sacrifice as a victory. And, and then you find that the devil began to have victory parties that marching around, look at what we've done to the Messiah. And little did he know that that was all a part of the plan of salvation, the awesome plan of Calvary. It's as the song says, because he died, I live. Because there was a Calvary. We struggle to understand our behavior because we struggle with the least complex things of life. But the more complex things of life, seemingly unnatural steps that lead the soul to a, far, to a fall are accomplished without much effort. You see, the devil will set a trap. And all the flesh has to do is just to walk. And I want to talk about the flesh for a moment. That's a dirty word. That's a dirty word. Because there's nothing glorious about the flesh. I have never had the flesh say, get up and pray. I have never had the flesh say, you need to go to church tonight. I've never had the flesh say, why don't you pick up your Bible and read it. The flesh has always said the exact opposite of what I need to do in life. And yet, it's the easiest to obey. There is strength and weakness. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm going to say. I'm winding this up. But I believe there's some things that God gave me that I believe we need to talk about. Now, the Bible says that in my weakness I am made strong. And this is when we lay aside our personal ideas and everything that we think should work out in our life, and we say, I'm going to trust God. 
I am going to be very vulnerable and trust in God. In that weakness, we become strong. But the flesh can become a strength to us because it's what we've always known. The weakness is the reliance in the flesh. The flesh becomes a crutch. A crutch gives a false sense of mobility. You can look at your progress and tell yourself that you're doing fine because you are still able to move, but you're still leaning on a crutch. However, you are not recovered. You are not healed. You are not even able to do what you were able to do before. The crutch has become your new normal. You can even read Philippians 4.13 and think, oh, everything's going to be okay because I'm leaning on something that's helping me. Your flesh will convince you of things that are going on in your life are okay because you're still coming to church. All the while, you're leaning on a crutch that has become your normal. And Jesus says, cast all your cares. But you say, I'm able to stand up. I'm good. I feel mature. Just two days ago, I celebrated uh, my 24th year of receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. And I don't believe there's any of us ever have one of those days roll by and we say, I nailed it. I'm so much further ahead than I ever thought I would be. If you do, come tell me the secret. Because I sat there on that morning and said, God, what have I done? Because I was talking to Brother Hilton the other night about this. We all represent a value of something. Now, we can, all of us, I can pull out U.S. currency bill and hold it up and say, anybody want this? And if you've seen it just had a one, we wouldn't be real excited. But because we place value upon one zero zero, I guarantee you there would be folks saying, I'll volunteer to help you preach your message, whatever you need. There would be hands across this congregation. Because we have placed value, we all represent a positive monetary value in the kingdom of God. But it's upon us to increase that value with the help of God. And it is my heart's desire not to be the same value of currency the first day that I lifted my hands and God filled me with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I say, God, increase my value, not my importance. Don't confuse importance and title and position with your uh, maturity in the kingdom of God. Increase my value. So when I pray, they touch heaven. So when I witness, I have a burning desire to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. So when I come to church, there's real worship, not actions. So when those tears come, it's not an act. 
It's a burning deep emotion when I see someone like we'll see tonight baptized in Jesus' name and their sins washed away. It's not, oh, let me take a picture and I'll tag you. It's say, look what God has done. Look at the miracle that no one else can duplicate. That's putting value upon your walk with God. But the flesh says you're only worth a dollar. But when you can cash that in and say, God, I give all of me so I can have all of you. And the zeros just start cranking over. He says, I've got plans for you. I'm going to do something great in your life. I'm going to catch you every time you fall if you'll let me. If you'll make your way to the house of God, all oh, the zeros just keep going. And they keep going. And eternity only knows the value you have. But I promise you, you're going to come up against opposition in closing. In Psalms chapter 38 and verse 20, we see that David begins to talk a little bit more in detail about the greatest trial of his life. It's not the outcome you would think. He begins to talk about it. He says, they also that render evil for good are mine adversaries. Hold on. That's not just an ordinary bad person. That's someone who has benefited from my good. That's someone that may have been close to me. Someone I may have done this. Someone I may have pulled out my phone and texted and called. They're now my adversary. That's, there's an enemy that has surrounded me. In early in Psalms chapter 38, it talks about them. They were my loved ones, my friends, my counselors. And now they've benefited from me, and now they've taken that good. And they've turned it into evil. Why would that happen? It says, because I follow the thing that good is. He's not safe, but he's good. It's because I trust in the good of Jesus Christ. In all that he represents in my life, that people are going to attack you every chance they get. And it's upon you to say, this trial doesn't define me. God, catch me. Pick me up. Encourage me. Make me more than what I thought I could ever be. Because I must be in the kingdom of God. I must find myself in the kingdom of God. I don't care who they are, who they think they are, who they thought they were to me. I must have what is good. Can we stand this evening? Musicians, would you please come? No matter what happens in life, pursue after the good of the kingdom of God. And just because you are facing a trial does not mean that God has forgot all about you. He's put you in a place to define your value, to prove himself to you, to say, jump just all you got to do is just lean forward there's a tipping point to where your natural balance is overcome with commitment and some of you are struggling with commitment and God's just saying just go I'll catch you 
I'll be here for you. You're going to feel a free fall. And the next thing you feel is his arms of love reaching around you, lifting you up, and said, I told you so. I told you so. You think, oh, well, that's, it's going to cost me too much. No. It should cost you everything. Everything. The adversary would want you to think that you have messed up beyond all realm of forgiveness. And the endless drivel of lies that spews from his mouth is nothing but lies. And all Jesus is wanting you to do is just commit. You're not too far gone. And young person, I pray these words resonate through the ears of your spirit where God calls them back up. When you're in your moment and you say, Mom and Dad may go to church, but I think I'm done. I'm too far gone. And I hope these preachers' words and the words of the pastor and every preacher that's graced the sacred desk that says, just trust in Him. And you find your way back. But here's how to keep you from getting there to begin with. Just follow the Word of God. Let Him catch you before you fall. Because a child can say, no, Daddy, I've got this. As a parent, you say, no, you don't. You don't understand. No, I've got it. As a parent, you sit there and say, you're just being stubborn. Just listen to me. I promise what I'm trying to tell you is good for you. No, I've got it. I'm 18. I can make my own decisions. I'm 35. I can do what I want. I'm 45. I've got everything under control. Just trust in Him. And the struggle is no longer with just beginning to I can't even imagine. I can't even think. I don't even know how to serve God. It's God, I need you right now in this moment. It's not you looking at yourself trying to solve and solution this. It's you saying, God, I need you one more time. You've got to touch me. Can we lift our hands and talk to him tonight? I believe God is reaching for someone. He's wanting a deeper commitment than just the surface. He's wanting someone to lay some fleshly crutches on the altar. Can we talk to him, saints of God? Those established in the faith. Those the testimony rings within your heart that says, Preacher, you're right. You're right. You're preaching right down my testimony. The word of God is reaching for someone tonight. Can we find us a place to pray? Can we talk to him? Can we tell him just how good he is? Thank him for his keeping hand. We love you, Jesus. We worship you. Let's talk to him tonight, saints of God. Let him prove his goodness to us one more time. Let our hearts reach for him, desiring after him. It's more than just the chill down the back. It's more than just having the pastor lay his hand on you and pray for you. You feel the warm and fuzzy. It's about God reaching down himself, picking you up and reassuring you everything's going to be all right. I've got you. I've got you in my eye right now. God's reaching for you tonight. 
Don't let conviction turn into judgment from the church. It's love. It's God's love towards you. Say and make your way to me. Be different than what you've ever done. You've struggled all your life trying to live for God because you've been trying to do it on your own. Let God reach down and touch you tonight. Hallelujah, we love you, Jesus. Hallelujah, we worship you, God, we worship you.